Our scripture is from Exodus chapter 34. If you are using the blue pew Bibles, they are on, it is on page 74. Once more, this reading is from Exodus chapter 34, um, verses 29 through 35. Exodus 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Uh, Let's go to God in prayer one more time. God, as we come before you today, I pray that that it would be like Moses um, as he spoke to you face to face, as he came before you and entered into your presence. And he was changed and he was transformed. His face began to shine. And I pray that, that in the same way that we would be transformed and maybe not physically, but in our hearts. Maybe not physically, but, 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 but with our lives, that our lives would be changed. And our hearts would be changed. And our love for you would be changed. Our, our love for you would grow. And, and I pray that you would help us to do this. To love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Um, through what we read today from your word. God, I thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, in your name we pray. Amen. So camp is uh, around the corner, D-Camp and and Impact, and um, if you already know, registration is now open, and if you haven't signed up, um, I think early registration ends this week, and so if you want to save like $40, and I know we all like that, um, be be sure to do so by Friday, I believe. Um, If you're also a, you know, interested in being a counselor, if I can make this plug, you know, if you're, if you're free August 4th through 7th or 7th through 11th, or if you're free from the 4th through the 11th of August, um, you know, come talk to me and hopefully I can point, you know, hopefully you'll be a counselor and I can point you to the application. But as one of my most distinct memories of camp was this one time I was actually playing background music for um, as the, the speaker was making an altar call, right? And so if you're familiar or if you're, if you're not a churchgoer, if you don't know the camp experience, usually on the last night of camp, the, the speaker comes up and he makes an invitation to all the students, right? The altar call usually starts off with uh, an invitation to, to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
And that's the first invitation. And then there's a second invitation usually that follows. And this is the speaker usually goes, hey, you know what? Like, do you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ? And there was this one year, I don't remember what year exactly, but I, I remember I was playing the music. I, was, I think I was playing the guitar or something. And I remember this distinctly. It was kind of a crazy moment. Um, that year, the speaker, he, you know, during the altar call, he would ask the students, hey, you know what? Like, you can accept Christ as your Savior in this moment. Do you want to? And so usually we have, you know, all the counselors come up to the side. They kind of stand around the room. There's usually about 40 counselors, maybe 50 counselors, and they kind of stand on the side. And usually what we have is the, we ask the students, hey, you know, if you want to accept Jesus, go find your counselors and go talk to them. And, and so at this time, this year particularly, for some reason, you know, maybe it was impact of the speaker. He was a good speaker. I'm not sure what happened that year, but probably 40 to 50 students came up and, and they, they went out and they, you know they accepted Jesus Christ, and that was awesome because usually we have about half of our counselors left, and so maybe there was like so I, I guess there was about double the amount of salvations that year. Awesome. And then what happened next actually kind of was a little bit crazier in that moment. And so as I was on stage and as I was playing the guitar and I was just kind of you know, looking out to the crowd, so at that moment we had no counselors on the edge. And, but the, 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 the speaker, he would make the announcement or he would make the call to go, hey, if you want to recommit your life to Christ, you know, usually we, we send them to their counselors. But at this point we had no counselors. And so what happened here was, he just had, you know, the speaker had all the students stand up. And I, I remember this distinctly. Maybe even some of you were there at that time. You guys were probably, if you were there, you were probably a middle schooler at that point. Um, but I remember him going, if you want to accept, you know, if you want to recommit your life to Christ, please stand up and, and we're in your chair. And, and so what happened at that moment was I remember Everyone, but probably except like 10 or 15 students stood up. So you can imagine a room about 150 students. They all stood up except 10 of them to recommit their life to Christ. And that was crazy. I've never seen that before. Usually we have like 20 kids accept Christ and, and another 20 recommit their lives. But, but 150, 180 kids responded to this altar call that, that year. And it was crazy, right? Could you imagine what would have happened with that generation of students if all 180 of them were still committed to Jesus Christ today? Right, so I'm not being a pessimist here, but I would say a lot of those recommitments were probably not kept. And I, I, I know how recommitments go, and maybe you made some of, your, made some of those recommitments in your youth days. But for the most part, recommitments... They, they're, they're, it's a recommitment because what happens? We recommit one time and then we break that commitment and we fall away or we walk away and we make another recommitment and we fall away from that, we break it and we make another commitment, right? That's usually what happens. So for us, we break every commitment. We, we, we break every promise we make to God. And so I know you're probably thinking, you know what, like what an introduction. You're, you're starting off on a really high note right now saying that, we are horrible at commitments. Well, here's the thing. This is, this is where we turn our eyes to the awesomeness of God. This is where we turn our eyes to God and his awesomeness. You know, here's the, the awesome thing is that God will never break his command, commitment. 
He will never break his promises and he will never break his covenant with us. And that's what we have to know and hear today. Because what's even better is that we know that God, even though God knows we break, we will break our covenant with him, even though we will break our commitment to him, he continues to make a covenant with us. Like, imagine this. It's like, it's like on a wedding day, we have a lot of weddings here. Just imagine this. Imagine the bride and groom standing right here, and then all of a sudden the husband during his vows goes, you know what? You know, wife, I want to be married to you, but, you know, I vow I, I, I'm going to cheat on you. You're going to get nothing but the worst from me. I, I, you know, it's not just for the better or for worse. It's just the worst. And then the wife goes, I'm still going to make that co- covenant with you. I'm still going to make that covenant with you. Like, that's crazy. That doesn't happen here. And if that does happen, we'd probably be like, wife, you better get out of there, right? And, and, and but, but that's what happens here with God. He makes these covenants with the sinful people. Because that's what we've seen here in the last two chapters. Like, in two weeks ago, Pastor Jason preached about the golden calf and how the Israels broke their covenant with, 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 uh, with God. So chapter 32 to 34 kind of goes together. People made an idol and they were breaking that covenant with God. So God says, go ahead, you go on ahead, you don't want me, and so I won't go with you. So when Moses starts to make a plea for the people, you know, even, even then, the tent of meeting, where's the tent of meeting? The tent of meeting is far off. It's not within where the people are, but it, it was off in the distance. And so here, and where we pick off in this story, is that the people are waiting in anticipation for a response from God. Right? We heard about the renewal from God um, last week when uh, Mr. Henry came up. So we know, the readers of, of, of Exodus know that God has made a renewal. But in this story, the people don't know about the renewal of the covenant. They're still waiting for a response from God at this time. So when Moses comes down the second time from the mountain, instead of seeing the people and then the golden calf and them celebrating, they, what do they see? They, 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 he sees the people waiting, anticipation, waiting to hear what God has to say. How has God responded? So what we will look at today is a story about Moses and his shining face. And what that, I don't know, we don't know what that means, but, but you know, how did that look like? But, but this was a, his shining face was a covenant. Uh, it was a sign of God's covenant being renewed. It was a sign of God's covenant with his people. And from this, we can know that God is telling the Israelites through this covenant, you know, that, that ultimately, uh, and ultimately his covenant, uh, sorry, what we can see through this, this, uh, his face is, is God renewing his covenant and what that meant. And then ultimately, we'll look at what this covenant means for us today or the new covenant, what that means for us. And so as we go on, you can see in your outline, there's, there's three things that we'll see. The presence of God and the glory of God. And then the access to God. But how the, the Old Testament and New Testament, or the Old Covenant and Old New Covenant, how that will look different. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so if you can, look back at uh, Exodus 34. And so what we see here in Mo- is when Moses comes down from the mountain, we see that he's coming down with two tablets in his hand, right? If you look at it, right, in, in, verse, in verse 29, 
says, Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with two tablets of testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain. And so first thing we need to see here is this is the covenant that God is trying to make with them. And so usually when we think of these covenants, um, we usually think of, hey, it's commandments 1 through 501 and commandments 6 through 10 on the other. That's, that's kind of the picture that's kind of painted for us. But most of the times, that's kind of what we think about. But that's not what's going on here. There would be two identical tablets. Um, it's two identical tablets because when the treaty was made with the king, usually you would have a copy for the king and a copy for you. Like, so in this situation, you have a copy. You know, this would be a treaty, a, a covenant. A, a, you know, the, the two tablets would be the same. One for, you know, for God and, and one for the people. So just like in any transaction that you make, you know, when you buy a house or when you do some sort of business transaction, a copy goes out to all people, right? So, with, so like what we need to see here in this covenant, God is saying, hey, I've returned to you. I'm making this covenant with you. But as we keep going, we see that Moses doesn't realize what's going on with his face. Right? Moses doesn't know what's going on in his face. He, he only realizes what's going on because the people don't approach him. They were afraid. Right? Just imagine, like, if you had some food on your face and you're eating with people or you have food on your teeth, you don't know it's happening until maybe they keep, like, staring at it, right? It's like, why, what are they looking at, right? That's usually what happens in, in, or, they, or someone tells you that you got food on your face or you got food in your teeth. That's kind of what's going on here where Moses didn't know his face was shining and there was some sort of glow to his face. But the question is, what's actually going on with Moses' face? So we actually don't know what happened in this situation. Um, there are two thoughts as to what is going on here. And so one thought is that um, his face was actually shining, as if like these, his, these, his face were like these lights. And so um, if we read, if we look at this, right, in verse 29, you'll see that the skin of his face shone, verse 29. And as he came down the mountain, Moses didn't know that his skin, the skin of his face shone, as you talked about. Right? If you looked in verse 30, it continues to say again, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. And finally, if you look again in verse 35, look at it. The people of Israel will see that the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face was shining so, yeah, it was shining, but we don't know what that actually looked like. And so here, the Hebrew word in this word is, is this Quran, is Q-A-R-A-N. And I'm spelling that because I, we'll see why I'm spelling that. But, but that word is to kind of have this shine to it or to, um, to, to have some sort of glow to it. But there is a second word that's related to this word. And that other word is this Karen, Q-E-R-E-N. So the first word uh, is Q-A-R-A-N, but the second one is Q-E-R-E-N. And so some people actually think that this has to be um, what, you know, this is what happened to Moses. So what Karen, what that meant, it means to be kind of a, what it meant to be to have horns on his head. So if you can imagine, just think of um, Hellboy, right? The, the, the red guy, he's got these two Kind of, well, I guess Hellboy's, his horns were sawed off, but, but that's kind of the image that people thought mo what happened to Moses. So if you actually look at if you Google it, Google it later, Google Michelangelo's Moses, 
right? If you look at that, that picture, you can actually see Moses, and, and he actually has two horns on his head. And so that was their interpretation of what's happening or what happened, in Moses, what happened to Moses. So most likely it is that God, you know, uh, it is most likely that God or Moses, his face was shining. Most likely there was some sort of glow. But we don't know for sure. But we, what we do know for sure is that, the, that God wants us to know from his renewed covenant is that God has returned to his people. God spoke to Moses and Moses' face shined. God is there in their midst. He isn't just going to send them ahead and not go with them. Because if you read after Exodus 34, what happens? Israelites, they can now move on from this episode. They can move on from chapter 32 of breaking the covenant, and they can go on and continue to finish rebuilding or finish building the tabernacle. God is dwelling with them again. So this is the first thing that we see from this passage, that God is present, that he tabernacles with the people. And so the second thing we need to see, and this is a pretty big thing that happened in, in, in this story, um, is Moses, he puts on a veil on his face. So again, the question is, what's up with this veil? There's not much to go off of that, that lets us know what, what the veil was all about. You know, maybe the veil was some sort of mask that he put on. Or maybe this veil was like like, like a bride, a, it was you know, a sheer piece of fabric. Or maybe maybe this 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 veil was just a cloth kind of wrapped around Moses' face that covered his mouth and nose and then covered his head and just left the eyes um, open for Moses to see. So maybe it's one of those three. I mean, we're not sure how long he wore this veil for. Like when did he stop wearing this veil? Like did, did he do this for a whole month? Did he do this for a few years? We don't know how long this went for, but we do know when he would wear it, right? It says after coming down from the mountain, he tried to approach the people. He called the people to himself. First the leaders came, and then he would talk to the people after that. And, then, and it says that after speaking with the people, that he would put up the veil in his face after finished speaking with them. And then what happens after that is, is he, he would take off the veil once he goes back and talk with God. And then there's this pattern that he comes out, talks to the people, and both, of them, uh, both times he, he, you know, the veil is still off. And then once he finishes, he puts the veil back on. So that's the, the, that's the, the pattern that we see. So even though we know when Moses will put on the veil, you know, even though we know when he puts it on, but why he did this, we don't know. But what we do know is that it covered up the glory of God in this. It covered up the glory of God. And so for us is that the second part, what we see from this is that, you know, the glimpse, we only get a glimpse of God's glory. You can see my glory. God is saying, you can see my glory through Moses, but it's not going to be all the time. It's going to be veiled. It's going to be covered. It was only a glimpse. And here's the thing. We know that this is God's glory. Because why? Because when Moses would speak to God, he would be changed and he, he had this glow. And he reflected God's glory. And this was God saying, you know what? Hey, Moses is your leader. This was God trying to, because in Exodus 32, what happened? The people rejected Moses. 
Right? Moses went up to the mountain for a long time, for like 40 days, right? And then what? The people got restless. They're like, where is this guy? I, you know, I don't know. What, what, where, is he coming back? I don't know. And so we're just going to do, do away with him. And we're going to do what we, you know, what we want and build our, own, you know, build our own calf and build our own idol. And so there's this idea of Moses being reestablished as God's leader. As being reestablished as the leader for the people. And so this is why, you know, we know that this is God's glory. This is God saying, hey, he is reflecting me. He is reflecting my glory. He is the man that I am appointing. And so he, Moses, he's the one that stands between God and the people. And this leads us to the third thing that we need to see from this, uh, this old covenant and from this story. Moses was the only one who had access that stood between the people. He was the only one who had direct access to God, right? And if you look at verse 34, if you look at verse 34, it says, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak to with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. So as we mentioned before, we don't know how long Moses um, you know, we don't know how long Moses, you know, had this pattern of wearing the veil and taking it off. And maybe it, may it lasted a few years. But it was only Moses that could go back. It was never another person that would go back into the, the you know, go back to meet with God. Right? Even back in, this wasn't just in this episode, but even back in, you know, in Exodus 19, the people were saying, hey, Moses, you go talk to, to God for us. We, we're not going to go. You go talk to him and let us know what he says. Even in the construction of the tabernacle, not just anyone could enter into the Holy of Holies. There was no direct access for all people. If the people heard anything from God, it had to happen through Moses. So the people did not hear directly from God. Only one mediator. But praise God, praise God that this isn't how you and I interact with God these days. Right? As good as the old covenant was, as good as, you know, as the Israelites, they got to see the glory. They got to see this shining face. But there is something greater for us here in this age of the new covenant. There is something better that Christ has brought for us. As you probably can see from the outline, there's a new covenant. And this covenant is better in every way possible. So if you can, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, maybe some of you already knew we were going to go here, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to give you some time to, to turn there. If you're in the Blue Pew Bible, it is on page 965. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, so what we, I hope you guys are there. If we read this, if we read 1 Corinthians 3, 3, it says, And you shall know that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tables but of stone, uh, of stone but on tables of human hearts. 
So one thing that we need to see here is that the, within the new covenant, in the new covenant, God's promise, it is God's promised presence. God's not only here, but he's here to stay. Right? With the old covenant, what happened? With the old covenant, you know, God, even though God had returned and he renewed this covenant, the people weren't sure what was going to happen. You know, what would happen if they were to fail again? What would be the results if they broke this renewed covenant? You know, if we continue in the, old, in, in the narrative of the Old Testament, we know that eventually God's glory in the form of the cloud, it leaves the, temp- it leaves the temple because of, pit of the people's disobedience. Once again, God's presence has left them, and, 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 and it was gone and left the people for what? And waiting, it left them waiting for hundreds of years. But if we look, and as we just read in 2 Corinthians 3, the Spirit of God changes our hearts. The Spirit of God is in us. It, the Spirit of God is in you. He works within us. If you look at 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, who had, you know, the, the Spirit who has made us competent in the minister uh, to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the what? The Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives us life. Lately, I've been trying to encourage the youth. You know what? Like, like I, I, what we need to do is we need to think more about the cross of Christ and think about the cross of Christ more. I'm going to say it again. I've encouraged them to think more about the cross of Christ and also to think about the cross of Christ more. Because somehow, us in here, even though we know that, you know, we're saved by grace, and we're saved by grace and not by, not by works, we still believe that God might still abandon us if we do something wrong. Or we believe that he has abandoned us, you know, because we've been living in a certain way. We need to think more about the cross of Christ. Because what happens, we tend to think less of the cross. If you have believed that God would abandon you, that, that, that's because of something, you know, if you believe that God has abandoned you because of something that you have done, or maybe if you believe that he loves you less because of some moral failures, that you think less of the cross. Because there's a belief that the cross was too weak to overcome and gain victory over those specific sins. You, you believe that the cross was too weak and it didn't, you know, pay for your sins that you're committing now or, or the sins that you will commit. And you believe that God has abandoned you for those. But the cross of Christ has given us the spirit of God. The spirit of God dwells within you and he has tabernacled with us here. He's not out there in the distant anymore. He's here and he's within you. So may you believe that God has not abandoned you and he will not abandon you. The, the, the spirit doesn't just come in and work in your heart and, and, and he goes, you know what? No, 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 this, this heart, no, no, it's too hard to work with. I'm, I, I just can't change it. I'm just gonna abandon it. I'm just gonna, I, he's, the spirit's not gonna give up on you. The Spirit of God cannot leave you, and that is God's promise to you. And just as God's 
promised and permanent, pres- permanent presence is in the new covenant. The second thing that we need to see is that the glory of God is no more veiled in the, in, in the new covenant. In the new covenant, we get to see the fullness of God in the glory of, in the face of, the glory of God in the face of Christ. So if you read, let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 18. If you read it, it says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one returns to the Lord, a veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So although in, verse, in Exodus 34, we didn't know the purpose of the veil, Paul uses the example of the veil to, to describe what happens for us who are in Christ. For someone who is not, if you look in verse 16, someone who, who is not in Christ, there's a veil. But if someone who, who turns to the Lord, there, the, the veil is, turned, is taken away. So something that blocks you, it doesn't just kind of get, you know, blocks the vision, you know, it doesn't just half block the vision, you know, the glory. But, but with the veil, we don't see the glory of God at all if we're not in Christ. But someone who turns the Lord, the veil is completely removed. There's nothing in the way. So we don't see a glimpse of God's glory anymore. But we see the fullness of God in Christ. Right? First, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says what? It says, Christ, he is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. Whenever you see Christ, you see God. And continuing on in Colossians 1.19, it says the fullness, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. John 1.14, right, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now I'm not sure where I, I forget where I read this. Um, it was probably it was one of the books that I was reading as I was studying, but it says, the biggest need in your life is to see the glory of God in Christ. The biggest need in your life is to see the glory of God in Christ. And, and so hopefully I can encourage some of you in here today who are, who are feeling dry. Maybe I, I can encourage you. Some of you, got, maybe some of you in here, you feel that God has abandoned you. Or maybe, you, maybe some of you, you just don't know God at all, and maybe you're searching for truth, and you're searching for something. Really, I think this encouragement goes out to everyone because what? Because all of our souls in here longs for the glory of God. There's not one person in here who does not desire the glory of God. You know, I, I've been thrown off by the example, um, by the, the song, um, as the deer. Yeah, I think there's a pretty familiar song, right? As the deer, as the deer pants for the waters of my soul. Something like that, right? It's very nice. It's very, like, soothing, right? It's, I don't know, it's just gentle, right? It, it, it's, it's, you, you get thrown off. Like, you could sing that to a baby and it will go to sleep almost, right? 
But if you, but where is that from? But, but, but if you look at Psalm 42, like I want you to hear the words in this song, uh, from this psalm. It says, as the deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now listen though, listen more. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When I come, when I shall come and appear before God, my tears have been my food day and night. There is nothing nice, there is nothing gentle, there's nothing soothing about this song, at, about this psalm at all. Right? If anything, you can't just think about this, this deer next to streams of water. Rather, what do you got to, you got to kind of think of Bambi in the desert. Right? That's what's going on. There's this deer that is thirsty and, and longing for God, and there is no water around. And then there's this thirst, and there's this longing for God, and because our souls are longing for him. We can't, this is what, this is what the picture is painted here in, in, in Psalm, in this psalm. All of our souls are longing for more. And it, was, and it will always long for more if you aren't filling yourself with Christ. I'm saying it again. Your soul's going to long, always long for more if you aren't filling it with Christ. You, we all long to, to gaze at the glory of God. But what, what do we do? We're, we're spent gazing at the things of this earth. So I, I, I imagine us, I imagine us, we're, we're gazing at the things of the world. We're taking the things of the world in. We're trying to satisfy the soul, trying to satisfy our need, and trying to quench that thirst. But I imagine us gazing at the world is like eating these mud pies. Now, I don't mean the mud pies like the dessert, but, it, but I mean, like, I don't know if you've seen the videos, but in, in Haiti, there are these kids, they eat these mud cookies. Like, it's literally mud. They dry it out in the sun, and they eat these cookies, these mud cookies. I imagine that we're us gazing into the world is like eating these cookies that are made from mud. You eat it, it's not satisfying, it crumbles, it makes you thirsty, it makes you even more thirsty. Like imagine eating mud. Like if you download um, the, the notes from the website this week, I have a link to the, to the YouTube video of, of what this mud cookie looks like. When you and I gaze into the things of this world, it's like eating mud cookies. It's empty, it's hollow. Our souls are empty, our souls are hollow. We're, we're longing for more. It's so unsatisfying and it leaves our souls longing for the glory of God. So we get to gaze at the face of Christ and we see the glory of God. Everything you have been longing for, and the glory of God is your biggest need. The glory of God is what your heart has been longing for. And just to be clear, we get to gaze. You get to look at the glory of God. You're not seeing God through, through me. You're not seeing God through Pastor Jason. You're not seeing God through each other. No, 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 no. You get to see God yourself. And that is our last point here. 
all believers, if you are a believer, if you are in Christ, you have direct access to God. In, Mo, in Exodus, Moses was the, was the messenger. But you and I, we don't need a messenger anymore. We don't need to wait to hear what God has to say through another person. We can go directly to God himself. 2 Corinthians 3.3, like we all, it says we all with unveiled faces. This is a simple truth, but I hope you see the deep benefits of it. Not only do we get to see Christ, but you have to see what happens when you gaze upon Christ, right? Not only do you and I get to see Christ, but, but something happens when we gaze upon him. There's something happens when we see him. Yes, our souls are, 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 are filled with him, but if you look at 2 Corinthians 3.18, look at this one last time. 2 Corinthians 3.18 It says, we all with unveiled faces beholding glory of the Lord are being transformed into into the same image from one degree degree of glory to another. Kevin DeYoung says this, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. So I'll ask you this. Do you have signs in your life of having been often in the presence of God? Do, do you look like, does your life look like that you have been spending time with God? How many of us are radiating something of having been with the Lord? Just like Moses, he spent time with God, he spoke to God as if he was speaking with him face to face, and what happens? He was transformed and his likeness was of the glory of God and the glory of God. To go even further now, Now that you have access to God directly, are you, my question to you is, are you being changed and are you growing by, you know, God, you know, are you growing by your, you know, these sermons in here? Are you growing because of your Sunday school teacher? Are you growing because, you know, your attendance in small group? Or has the most of your growth come um, by your personal time with God at home and before the word? Because what we do in here and what we do in the classrooms and what you do in the homes, uh, in your small groups, those, as important as those things are, it's what happens in your home when you're in before, before the, the Bible. It is, it is what happens there that is most important. Because if you aren't growing and being transformed at home before the Lord, then it's probably not happening here. It's got to start with you, with your face, and this at home. You have direct access to God. Don't wait for what Pastor, what, for what, you know, for what Pastor Jason is going to say this week. Some time ago, uh, I think during one of the moves, I came across this scrapbook. If you were here as a youth, I don't know if you guys remember, y'all made this yellow scrapbook for me, and there was a bunch of notes, there was a bunch of pictures. I should post them all because there's like pictures of you guys in middle school, and y'all all pretty dorky, you know? And, and so, but this, this, in the scrapbook, though, there's all of these notes that, that were kind of written, all like, you know, they were like kind of nice notes, of notes of appreciation, and so I started to read through these notes, and I think within those notes, there were also some, like, e-gram notes from, from camp. And so I started to read through those notes, 
And in a lot of the notes in eGrams, they said something very similar to this. Um, it says, like, thanks for your passion for God. It was very, it's very contagious or something like it. It wasn't exactly like that, but it was uh, something to that extent, that, that, that we were able to see God through you. Thanks for your passion. So here's the thing. I'm not trying to toot my own horn here because it got me thinking about my life and my ministry and how I am ministering these days. Because if I were to think about uh, kind of what's been said of me lately or if some, think of some notes that have been, 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 been written to me, like not a lot of that of thanks for your passion or we get to see, you know, your passion. We, don't, we, we get to see God in you. There's not a lot of that being written in my life about me and my ministry. You know, because before, before there was something visible in my life, and but I, 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 but but before, but more recently, I think that's been kind of gone. Because here's the thing: over the years, I believe that I've been caught up in the worries of ministry. In, in the recent years, I, I, as I've gotten to learn more, I, I've been learning and I've been kind of feeling the pressures of ministry. I've been trying to, to, you know, meet everyone's expectations. I've been trying to impress people. I've been trying to, you know, gain the likes of people. You know, like, I hope they like me. I hope, you know, they, they think I'm funny. I hope that, you know, they think I'm good. So instead of worrying about and, and seeking the glory of God, I've been worrying about myself and what I look like. You know, Pastor Fred, he challenges me every, every day. He goes, you know, before, I, before you start doing any work, you, you should just pray for 10 minutes. That's it. Just pray for 10 minutes. Don't do anything. We become what we behold. Have you been beholding God? Have you? You, you know, we, you have access directly to God. Have you been going to that? Here's the thing, our access to our social media, our access to Netflix, our access to everything in this world has overshadowed our access to God. Our pleasures in the things of this world and the things that we hold on our hands, you know, they overshadow our access and how much we've been going towards God. And so when we hold on and we access, you know, when we go and go directly to Netflix and we go to our social media, here's the thing. What happens is we, we go, this is more pleasurable. Netflix, binge watching, whatever it is, is more pleasurable. And we, we talk about it. We know things about it. We become what we behold. But if we behold God, if we see Christ, we become more like him. So not only is God here to stay, but we get to see Christ. We get to see God in his glory. And that's what we need in our lives. That's what we are longing for. And we can run straight into his arms. We get to run straight into his presence. And our souls are longing for that. Our souls, your soul is longing for the presence of God. Let's pray. God, I pray that we will be transformed by your presence. I pray 
that we would see as we're, we're taking in Netflix, as we're taking in what our Instagram likes, as we're taking in how many followers follow us, as we're taking in whatever, you know, with the grades that we have, as we take in, you know, the, the, our status at our jobs, may we see that all of those things are just like eating mud pies. But our souls are left with longing for more, and we're longing for you. And I pray that just as you responded to the people in the desert, and you responded to your people with this covenant, I pray that we would see that you have responded to us. You have given us access to you. And I pray that we would run into your arms. May we behold you, may we love you, and may we be changed by that. Praise in Jesus' name.